The Real Hustle Podcast, hosted by yours truly, Chris Kivlin. Real hustle, real people, real results. You can help support our podcast by checking out our Real Hustle gear. We have t-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, hats, and more. The Real Hustle gear is great for the gym or even a night out on the town. Let everyone know that you are a real hustler willing to do whatever it takes to get the job done. You can check us out right now at realhustle.com. And right now we're offering all of our listeners 10% off when you use the promo code podcast at checkout. Once again, that is podcast to receive 10% off your entire order. Realhustle.com. What's up, guys? What's up? What's up? So I am super excited to have you. Thank you for coming. So you guys are, so just, I'm just going to forewarn you. Um, you guys are probably one of my favorite couples. I don't know what so it is. It must be the, it must be the New York in you. Cause like, so I'm, so my, um, my relatives are from New York. And so I used to always go to New York, uh, upstate New York, up near West Point. Okay. And so I was there every Still summer. Still state from us. Yeah. But it, it, you, you know, it's one thing. It's like you know, it's, New Yorkers. Like they, some of them have this bad stigma against yes. them, and it's like you, you have your New Yorker, but you also have, like, you bring that, but. You're nice. You're a nice New Yorker. I'll deliver it nicely. Yes, you do. <laughs> I don't know how to explain that. <laughs> With but a plate of cookies. <laughs> right? I... Yeah, no, as you cook, it was like, so maybe both Italian. Are yeah. you both Italian? Right. right? So I wanted to have you guys both on the show because, like, you guys are like this, like, dynamic duo. You're a real estate agent and you are an ER doctor. And so I wanted to kind of talk about more about what that life is like. How did you get there? Explain to people because, you know, there's a lot of people out there that might be aspiring to be a doctor. How did you get in the field? What made you want to get in the field? What kind of challenges did you get into? So why don't we kind of start because I know you kind of got a story that you want to share about that, how that all came about. Well, first of all, thank you for having us and happy birthday, America. <laughs> thank you for your service. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate all you guys and everybody that sacrificed for our country. Thanks. Um, this came to a surprise to me when she told me a couple weeks ago that, hey, guess what? We're going to be in a podcast. And I said, about what? This is great. Your business is, your business is taking off. I'm so happy. I'm here to support you. She goes, no, I think he wants to talk to you. I want to talk to both of you. So, But I kind of want to get your back. Because the thing is, is like, all right, I was sitting there thinking about, like, when I think about guests and I have guests on, they're like, okay, I wanted a backbone of somebody, like, you know, when we have somebody who's successful and somebody who's gone through the schooling that you've gone through. And I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I was thinking about you guys, and I was like, and it kind of popped in my head. I was like, emergency room doctor, I bet you he's got some good stories. Yeah, the problem is I can't share <laughs> them with anybody. <laughs> so, you know, the problem is, is with HIPAA, you know, it's hard to right. really, you know, describe some of these things in full detail because it's a small community. Oh, yeah, I know. You know everybody knows everybody here. It ain't like New York. Pull some stuff out of the wrong place, and that story gets around, and yeah, you're out of work before What's you know that? it. So, um, yeah, I, t I, tend to, I tend to be a fixer. I think that's probably the easiest way to describe my job is if something's broken or something's not working, you come to me, I'll fix it. I don't have a specialty. I'm sort of the jack of all trades. The half of that is the master of nothing. I tend to think that I'm the master of the first hour you come to me. I call it the golden hour. I do the best I can with the tools I got at the time you're here. Why the emergency room, though? Why go into that? That, that was like my question. What made you want to go there? Well, there's a show called ER, which mm -hmm. put a little light on the greatness of what we did. And, and a lot of the influence I had growing up, like I said, was about fixing things. When I went through school... Med school, I liked everything. For about the first day, whether it was psych, medicine, cards, I liked meeting people. 
taking care of them, setting them up, fixing them in real time. And then I wanted to see more. The continuity of care didn't you know, appeal to me as much as the acuity of care. And that's, that's my drive. I mean, I have a little adrenaline <laughs> bump, you call it that. <laughs> I saw you had a little power drink when I came in mm -hmm. here. It's, that's, that's, my, that's my jam. I go to work and I turn it on and it just feels good. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know if when you get out of a good workout, you feel that rush, you, you're, you're alive. I, I feel alive when I do my job. So let's kind of backtrack a little bit. Did you know, you know, and I told you guys earlier, I had uh, Will McComb on here and he's attorney. So I'm going to ask you kind of the same question. Was this something as a kid that you're like, I'm going to grow up and be a doctor? You know, everybody has that. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be an attorney. I'm going to be a space. I'm going to go up in a spaceship. There were a couple of premier jobs that, that floated around. I, I, I was born in 68, so I'm 54 this year. So you can do the timeline. I, I pretty much was a child of the 80s. Um, you know, there, were, there weren't the... A child of the 80s. Yeah, I grew up in the 80s. <laughs> you were like a teen of the well, 80s. You were born in the, <laughs> were born in the 80s. But, um, yeah, I mean, you got to think about the time when you're influenced. Your parents really played a huge role in kind of making education the forefront. I mean, his mom, even to this day with our daughter, has made education. I mean, she really, it was no question that he was going to a premier university and that he was going to be a doctor. It really was. So my mom's a teacher. <laughs> I can't figure that out. Mom, she, mom influenced you, huh? <laughs> she's, she's a good person. Yeah. So, you know. She puts her value in, in certain things and that definitely, like education. And, and you have to understand, like Tracy's grandfather did not speak English. His grandmother spoke Italian to a man who was Spanish. So they somehow made their relationship work with a very big language barrier. Wow. Um, his grandfather was not born in the U.S., so he is second generation on part of his side as a American. So, I mean, I think your mom realized that education was the, the great key to success. So did they, did they come over from Italy? His grandfather's so Spanish. His grandfather came Spanish. from Spain when he was okay. 18 years old. Okay. He gotcha. worked for the Lackawanna Railroad. Oh, wow. And, okay. uh, you know, he's the guy, you know, he's, he's the, the American story. And came over and for a better life, better yeah. nothing, nothing. Yeah, nothing. with nothing in his pocket. So, you know, just his two hands. Put his faith in, in himself, you know. So yeah. I think your mom really gets that credit. I don't think that Tracy woke up with a dream to be a doctor. Well, I, think that his mom I had opportunity. Kind of... Okay, so, so there's, there's talent, there's opportunity. And if you just put it in the pot at this, it, and lightning, yeah. lightning strikes, you're lucky. I'm a lucky guy. And you were talented. There's no denying it. Well, you got to be talented working in the emergency room. No, I mean, he's, so, he's, so he's like one of those exceptionally smart people that you wouldn't think. Because when you meet him, if I don't tell you what he does, or if I bring him to a party, like he's a dish to pass, <laughs> and I don't say what hey, he honey, does, people here. never know. People would never think out of 20 things that this is what he does. Because yeah, he's so normal. But that's what I do. It's not who I am. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if... Yeah, and that's one of your things. You know, one of the... Yeah, that's part of... It's my strength and my weakness at the same time. Um, everybody says, do what you like to do and then try to figure out a way to make money doing it. 
So you figured out that you wanted to be a doctor and well, make and then turn like it fixing into things. fixing things. I just like fixing things. Well, you apparently they're fixing people. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, um, but it's it's it was it's good science. It was good. It's a good challenge. I I don't have a boring day, and that doesn't do well in the boring. He really I, doesn't. I really. Well, you got, and that's the thing. Is like because I was sitting there thinking about this. It's like you really have to have a very different mindset than most people because of yes. what is coming in the door and what you have to experience. Because there's a lot of stuff that's coming in that most people don't ever want to see or experience in their life. Well, in their they life. do. They do. They just want to be. They just want to be behind the guy making the call. Well, there's a lot I mean, of people. I, don't, I wouldn't want to do your job, and most people. I don't think most people would want to do your job just because. It's a tough job. Yeah, but you couldn't pay enough to be in that room at that moment. I mean, there's, it's real, it's real. But but to but to, to you love it, and you could tell that's the thing, right? So you, you that excites you, and it's like that's what I'm saying. It's like I really believe that for somebody like you, you have to have a different mindset than most of the world, because I don't think most of the world would want to be put in the place that where somebody's life is dependent upon it right then and there. I wouldn't do his job. I wouldn't do his job. Me it's, either. It's, no, <laughs> so. I've gone in and visited or. <laughs> been in there and I can't even think and nothing is on my shoulder because yeah, you got to be like this you got to be so on it you have it. to distill everything down to a black and white choice because the world is gray and you have to decide at that moment like I said you do the best you can at the time you have with, with the facts you have and you have to make a choice you, you can't you can't spin your wheels and and think about it later. Right. Well, so you don't have you, time to really think about it, right? You either you got to make a decision, or you you know, and this you is use what your you skills got, so and your right. training. Okay. You, you you do the best you can. You have a situation. You go with your hunch. You go with your, your most likely diagnosis. You you go with your most likely therapy. You see how it works. If it doesn't work, you rethink it. You go right back to A. You know, we have these things called the ABCs of resuscitation: airway, breathing, circulation. We have an algorithm. You just look at the situation. Can I fix this? Yes. What are what do we have? You do it. Do you have a result? Is it a positive result? Yes. Keep proceeding. It's a negative result. Rethink it. Go back to A. It's it's just like your training. It <laughs> okay. is. It, it's very it's it's very simple. Where'd you go to school? At? I'm a. I grew up in upstate New York. I'm a product of Brockport High School. Okay. Which is a local. Yeah, little little <laughs> cows and humans. <laughs> cows and plows. Um, good school. Good okay. experience. Good people. Um, working class town. Um, then I went to Cornell. Um, that was uh, probably the best choice I made. Uh, upstate New York, Ivy League. Didn't uh, big, big appreciate time school. Yeah, yeah. I got into a bunch Humbling. of school. Yes. Didn't go. Didn't didn't really appreciate how great of an opportunity it was until I was probably halfway through, and started sharing with other people their college experiences and realized that I really was given quite a quite an opportunity. And again, going back to my folks, that was their gift to me. They scrimped and saved. They they never bought a new car. Wow. Go to school. That's awesome. Yeah. And so you went to Cornell, and then where did you go after that? I uh, had a bunch of opportunities at a number of medical colleges. I took uh, the University of Buffalo. Um, at the time, it was uh, partially based on financial opportunity. That um, was my safety school, first school I got into. And then I applied to a number of sort of Ivy League colleges and graduate medical programs. Um, got in a few. Uh, got in about seven schools, and Buffalo just kept sweetening the pot. So I plopped my 100 bucks down October 7th when they said, you got a spot. And I figure I have about eight, nine months to figure out where I'm going to go to med school. 
I toured the country, went to a couple couple schools, felt some love from some places, but then I saw the numbers. This is 1989, yeah. going into 90. You're looking at tuitions of fifty, fifty-five thousand dollars at that time. You can't can imagine math. what it is yeah. now. Okay. I'm scared. That's, that was just that was just tuition. Right. Now try living in New York City oh, yeah. or Philadelphia or Boston. I know. Okay, I'm was, from I'm from Baltimore. I know. Right. Yeah. So what, what do you, what do you <laughs> take out? Yep. Another twenty-five grand a year. Yeah. So you're looking at you know, and then you got to buy books. You got to eat. So we're looking at an honest probably four hundred grand in nineteen ninety money. You tell me what that's worth. All right. So Buffalo kept giving me a better and better deal. More scholarship incentive. More. So cold in Buffalo. Yeah, but I went to med school for thirty five hundred bucks a year. <laughs> wow. You yeah. can't beat that. Yeah. Right? I mean, you can't you know? top that. No. I mean So I, I got it. out of med school for under thirty thousand all in. That's cheap. So that was another gift. That was another opportunity taken. That was the right move at the time. Well, you know, that's one of the things is as you bring that up, and me being in the mortgage business, as I help a lot of doctors and people who accumulate a lot of student debt when they go to school because it's so expensive to be a doctor now and it's so expensive for all the schooling. You know, it's hard for, you know, for them because then they want to get qualified. Right. And, you know, to buy a house, in, but they've got $500,000 in student debt. Yeah. And, you know, because they went to school, which is a shame because they, you know, now you've got somebody who's a doctor who had to pay all this money for school, but, like, they can't even get approved for a house now because they've got so much debt. And so so one of the lessons my parents, mainly my mom, told me is she shared some of the experiences that she had as a child. And if you can't afford it, don't buy it. Never take credit, whether it's a house or a car. If you can't afford it, realistically, and I know you're in the mortgage business, <laughs> and you might pitch it a little, but, but you're realistic with the goals of your buyers, too. Mm -hmm. You're not going to set somebody up for failure. Right. So if you can't afford it now and you don't need it, don't do it. So their gift to me was an education, helping with undergraduate education and getting through med school with, with essentially no debt. Did not take any loans. That's awesome. So I'll share that with you too, that I walked out of uh, residency debt-free. You don't hear that very that's often. Unheard of. Yeah, it's pretty, that's what that's I was going to really say. Unheard of. But it was by choice. Now, I went to Cornell. I, I did get some some scholarships. I also went to the stateside of Cornell. So they have a, they had seven colleges at Cornell. One of the colleges, the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences, which is essentially state tuition for New York State okay. kids. So, you know, here's a Ivy League education for, at the time, I think $11,000 a year. Wow. So to say I got lucky financially, <laughs> to say, I, again, opportunity, and I took full advantage of it. But that also goes back to your, I think it probably goes back to your parents too, as well as, as they raised you. Because I mean, you have to have certain grades to get into those schools. So I mean, it takes that part too, right? And I think sometimes that's where that's lost is the parents are the ones that really help them get the, the person. Because like, I can be honest with you, me growing up, it wasn't like that. I was very different household. Parents didn't give a crap about school, didn't care about anything. But with my kids, it was a little bit different. I changed that, um, you know, because I didn't have that same philosophy. Like, I was like, I didn't want to be that. Like, you know, and it comes from your parents because the thing is, is they raised you to say school is important. You need good grades. You need to do this. Like, you know, and I think that's where sometimes we're missing this as an, in a generation is we don't have that anymore where it's like, hey, you need to do this or, hey, you know, because 
it comes from the parents. Turn the air down a little. I think also the other thing is is that his parents worked very hard. So even though he had both parents, one was always working. So he, as a child, I can, I mean, we've talked at length, saw that it took sacrifices. Like he didn't have that quintessential dinner time with mom and dad around the table. Let's talk about your day. He, his dad would go to work when he got home from school. My parents, they shared a car. (laughs) So, you know, that means somebody works nights, somebody works days when I was young. Lived in an apartment. Okay? That's I mean, you, 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 but I think all of that... You know, you know the family. We, yep. we, we talk about this family, right? Yep, exactly. Um, Absolutely. So, I mean, you know, you do what you got to do to get it done. Yeah. And, you know, and, and that's the thing. So, let's kind of fast forward a little bit and we'll talk about you two here for a second. So, how did you two meet? She stalked me. She stalked you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why is, that wouldn't surprise me, but... <laughs> so, I was at the University of Rochester. I was, uh, I was teaching faculty in the ER and working a night shift. And typical night, you know, I show up five minutes late, all flustered. What do I got? What do I got? Getting signed out at the board and just run on the board. Takes, take full control of the ED. I do my sort of walk around. I get this resident. And he comes running up to me like a little puppy. He says, hey, come with me. Come with me. I go, what's going on? He goes, I got this guy in room nine. He wants an Italian doctor. <laughs> said, okay. And I looked around. I go, I guess I'm it, right? <laughs> so I see the name on the board. I recognize the name. I said, I'll, I'll go in there. And I show up and very beautiful man sitting comfortably, being re- very respectful, nice family. Um, almost like a scene from The Sopranos. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I introduce myself, and of course, they hear the vowel on the last name, and they're like, yeah, this is my doctor. <laughs> okay. So I'm like, welcome. I'll take care of you. Um, full faith given to me. Took care of the guy. Unfortunately, he had some disease that we later had to deal with. Um, tuck him in for the night. And doing some charting, all of a sudden, this tornado comes blowing by the desk <laughs> in full effect. Big hair, tracksuit, shell toes. She goes quintessential eighties. <laughs> yeah, she goes blown into the room, and I'm like, "What was that?" I go head back into the room. She dresses me down right in front of them. Wants to know everything. Are you the da- doctor in charge? What's going on with my uncle? What are we doing? What's his What's his diagnosis? Who's going to take care of him? And I said, "I got it. I got it. I'll take care of it." Got him admitted to the hospital circle back to go assure her that everything's fine and she's gone <laughs> just in and out like a like a whirlwind now she's got my attention <laughs> okay so shifts wrapping up getting late probably i don't know maybe one two in the morning and uh he's going upstairs her mother comes out and says her name is valerie you can give her a call oh <laughs> right so problem is I'm living with a girl Oh, <laughs> okay. So I take the number, stick it in my mailbox. Don't call. That's just not what I want to do to her and her family. All right. Well, fast forward about, I don't know, two weeks, working a shift, come home from a long shift, and. You're no oh, longer living with a girl. <laughs> I, I punch out at midnight, I open up my apartment, it just sounds a little different. Like, oh. Turn on the lights. And stuff's missing. 
Oh, jeez. But just her stuff. So I think we have a robber who stole <laughs> all my girlfriend's stuff <laughs> and my girlfriend. <laughs> so I sort of put my head in my hands. I figure I have a situation, go back to work, try to get the pieces together. I'm a young guy. I'm like, we can do this. Done this before. Right. About two weeks later, I get a phone call. It's about a month out. I get a phone call overhead. Dr. Domino, you have a phone online too. Hi. Yeah, this is Valerie. You may not remember me. I took care of my uncle. I'm like, yeah, I do remember you. She goes, um, did you get my card? Like, file through my thing. Card in there. Phone number. You should have a coffee or go out to dinner. She says, if you don't plan on taking me out, then you can just forget my number. I usually don't do this. I feel really stupid doing this. I said, as a matter of fact, my schedule is wide open. <laughs> So we started dating. The rest is history. And I got to know the family and got to help this beautiful man. Yeah. That's kind of kind of a cool story, huh? Yeah. So, kind of one of those stories. So, I mean, that's kind of it. So, yeah. And then, so both of you were in New York and Rochester, yeah. right? And you lived there for how long? I've only lived there. You've only lived there. So what brought you to Sarasota? So my good friend from high school was one of the recruiters for the hospital system he works at and he tried to recruit us when we had just had our daughter and I was like I'm not moving not with a newborn not by myself <laughs> no so I shot it down and then things just got easier as she got older and I said you know what let's explore it you want to kind of explore options I'm not going to be that one that denies an opportunity so he reached out and spoke to Damien, and they spoke, and he's like, I've got a perfect situation. I myself would move there if I had a young family. I think you'll love it. And I sent him to go and explore Lakewood Ranch. <laughs> and he called me, and he's like, you'll love it. You'll love it. You're going to love this place. And we came down probably like two weeks later, visited, got the whirlwind tour, and went home and sold our house. He took the contract, and we moved with a four-year-old. Wow. When was that? 13? Uh, yeah. 2013. So I moved down here in 2014. And it's kind of weird. You know, it's, it's funny how I keep hearing these stories when I talk to – when I have my guest on is something drew them here. Like even my story. So Debbie and I came down here on our anniversary, our 20th anniversary, for and do this to get away. We didn't have much money. So we came down here. And we're like, let's just get to Florida. So we came down here for, and we we're like, we'll celebrate down there. And we come down here and it's like – She's like, I don't know what it is, but I'm moving to Florida. I love Florida. Like, she loved this area. She's like, this is where I belong. She goes, I don't know how we're going to do it. We just need to come. And so, <clears throat> long story short is, we came down in April. We moved down here by July. Wow. Well, that's how fast we moved. And it was like, and I hear a lot of those stories as people come down, and like, especially from up north, you're like, you know, and one of the things that, we, that I hear a lot also is like, you know, why you know, why, am, why am I still living there? Why right. am I still living in yeah. – because my family lived there. Yeah. Everybody lived there. It's like, but it's so much nicer down here. And it's just a different you know, world. Opportunity doesn't knock twice. You know, it's like I, I had an opportunity. Again, I took a bad situation for her family, bad situation for me personally. We, we made something happen. It, it, it just – it was opportunity that came out of a hardship, mm -hmm. whether it was a breakup or, a, or the, the death of dying of a, of a, of a loved one. Um, it, it, it happened. We came down here, and I remember my very first day at work where I called her. I punch in. I'm learning the computer system. I meet the acting director of our RED, and he's, he looks me in the eye. He says, uh, did you move down here? I said, yeah. He goes, 
you know we're going to lose the contract, right? I said, oh, what are you talking geez. about? He goes, yeah, I'm uh, just a temporary guy. I'm, uh, you know, we're, we're probably this contract's going to be lost. And um, I hope you didn't buy a house. Oh, jeez. Now, I've got a 52-foot van being unpacked 10 miles away. Oh, I called my wife. And Is I'm that the Great Hawk house? No, no, we rented oh, okay. in uh, Greenbrook. Okay. And I'm, first and I'm sick. I'm physically ill. And I called her and I called the recruiter and I said, what's going on? And within minutes... I get a phone call. It's going to be okay. I said, what do you mean it's going to be okay? And my current boss right now, if I can give her name, she's a wonderful person, Teresa Raw. She's, she's great. She said, I gotcha. And never met me. <laughs> you didn't move 1,300 miles for nothing. She goes, <laughs> I gotcha. It's okay. So she took care of my family. Yeah. And uh, she's a good person. Yeah. So and so now you've been here. You've been working. Now, have you always worked for Manatee Memorial? Well, Manatee and and Lakewood Ranch are uh, together, sister hospitals yeah, sister, under right? you know, the yeah. one that's off UHS. Of Lake, right, like, correct. That, that's the one in Lake down off of Lakewood Ranch Boulevard. Yeah, yeah. And then the Manatee. And right? for for a hot second, the contract at at Lakewood Ranch um, switched hands. Switched hands to another group. That group recruited me. I took that opportunity to come to town. Um, what I didn't know was the behind-the-scenes um, contractual yeah. relationship. And I was just lucky again that a great person came into my life. Do you have to switch from back and forth? From I, going we, from We're credentialed range? in both hospitals. I've, I've since focused all my attention at Manatee Memorial right now. It okay. just seems to be a better fit for me, my skill set. Um, and again, I'm, I'm indebted to this person. She is, she's a wonderful, wonderful leader. So let's talk about part of the reason I wanted to have both of you on here also is because the the like how did the dynamic work between you? Because obviously, you know, you're being I'm sure you were on call, like, you know, and you're trying to raise a child and that could be challenging. So he leads like I guess in the field of medicine, he leads a pretty normal life in the fact that his schedule is set. So if if he gets called in, something horrible has happened. Um, so we pretty much can plan our life out. Now, with that said, we plan our life in three to four month blocks. So you can't call me and be like, Hey, can we go to dinner tomorrow? (laughs) Well, you can go with me. Probably not him. (laughs) Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's took a long time to get really used to that schedule, but the ER is open 365 days a year, 24 seven. So there are holidays. We don't have him. There are major events. We don't have him. It's just, we've, Figured out a way to make the crazy work. That's what, um, that's what I was wondering because you know because I mean if you had to work Christmas or you had oh, to work, yeah. yeah so well, it's hard. Christmas is just a, Christmas is Tuesday sometimes. <laughs> so <All right>. Christmas <laughs> Christmas may be December twenty seventh. Right. So you got to I mean, change it. There'll be the present opening on on the twenty fifth, but the actual day of relaxation and and family might not be the twenty fifth. It uh, has been. Um, it's. It works dynamically because I think at work, he is so high strung in that he handles chaos very well. And at home, he's so chill. Like completely, nothing goes off on his radar. I mean, when when something (laughs) happens, like if our daughter gets really sick and I'm like, hey, what do we do? He's calm as can be. And the two times in our life that he has said, let's take her to the ER, I have literally had a panic attack because I'm like, 
If he's telling us, the ER doctor, that we need to take our child to the ER, this is way worse than I've ever imagined. <laughs> this is when you realize where the rep, where the uh, the speed limiter is on your car. Oh, okay. gotcha. Yeah, <laughs> you got a sick yeah. kid. So, I mean, uh, he's so calm. No matter what knocks at our door, I can't tell how many times we've been on a Sunday just chilling, and someone's like, "Hey, uh, my kid cut his head open." That's what and I was going like, to ask you. How he's many, like, it's totally fine. Come how many in. people like? Do you get people all the time asking you like yes. medical advice? I mean, is, is that just come part of the job? It's probably the same as people asking you money advice. Same <laughs> so, thing. I mean, it's it's who we are. It's what we do. Right. But um, does, does it ever like start to get on your nerves? Though I, I, I tell people, no. I use I, I, I use a very simple term. I said, call me if you need me. Need me if you call me. Right. Which allows people to set the bar, and you know, don't call me if if you twisted your ankle. Call me if there's bone sticking out. You know. <laughs> and that's my favorite and, line. And you know is what I'll do. <laughs> and you know what I'll do is I'll meet you there. Right. I, I mean, there's certain things I can handle at home, mm-hmm. and there's certain things that need an ER. An ER. All right. And you know, if I could be, you know, your tour guide through the ER and make things happen in a timely manner, and make sure I take care of my guys and make sure everybody gets good care. And I'm doing a service to my friends and community, I guess, maybe, okay. ish. Well, that's, that's awesome, though. That's an awesome thing. I mean, you know, and that was like, because I was just wondering, does it ever get to the point that you're like, if one more person calls me and asks me about their, their thumb or their ear? Well, I don't mind because that's, 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 that's who I am. I mean, it truly, I, I right. fielded calls in the middle of the night. What? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What do you want now? It's yeah, okay. right? It's, it's okay. It's all right because i was just curious because i mean i would i, I don't because i mean i would just assume like people would just be like because you know people are always trying to get free medical advice oh, yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff and it's just like eventually i thought it maybe get overwhelming at points i mean I, yeah i get people asking me about you know about loans and that kind of thing but i just think it would be different with a doctor yeah. because it's just such you know and it, and the thing is is like you know they almost wanted you to diagnose them yeah. without them having to go right, pay for or it seeing, I think it's the, right i think it's the loss of objectivity um with your own family, though, I've got my daughter sitting over there, and she'll tell you that uh, you know she pretty much can come in dragging a limb, and I'm like, "You're okay, <laughs> you're okay." Yeah, um, not much goes off on the radar. Yeah, I remember this, when she broke her wrist. She's like, my wife calls me, she says, "I think she broke her wrist," and I'm like, "Doubtful." No, I said doubtful, <laughs> and then you saw her. He only looked at her, and he's like, "Her wrist is broken," and I'm like, "Yeah, but I doubt." How could you look at that and tell me that <laughs> her wrist was broken? Oh, it is his job. I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but I never, I never, never really believe anyone's really that hurt. hurt. And, and then you you see him at work, and you're like, oh my god, it's it's really bad. Yeah, no, I mean, you have a different you have a different uh, response for a stranger than you do um, your family member. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I know that's for sure. I know where you break, and I, I guess I know where she breaks now. Um, <laughs> but when strangers come in and they come in with a with a situation, they're their perception is that this is a real emergency, and sometimes it isn't. And sometimes you have to give them the gentle message that right. you know they're going to be okay. Right? Um, You're not going to die. You'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> so we've somehow have figured out a way to just make it work. It just it works. It, it, well, I think it's that's you know you got to have the right partner in it. Like, and I know you're in real estate, and just like 
our jobs are very demanding and right? stressful and stressful so like you know you've got to have the right partner like with me and debbie she had she when i decided that like i'm going all in in the mortgage world that i needed her buy-in you know right. and so you have to have that right partner if they don't understand what you're going through you're going to have conflict and so like you know because the thing is like i went up to her out front I was like look if we're going to do this you're going to have to realize I'm not going to be around most of the time. If I'm going to get this and really do this well right. and change our lives, then I have to work all the time. I mean, I'm not going to be available. So just be prepared. And she was fine with it. Now we've built a good life where the mortgage world is enough that now I can, okay, I can go away. I can take a vacation. You've I can take, you know, I got a couple of days here because I built it. It took a long time to build and I'm still available most of the time. Like, so, but like, you know, that's the biggest thing is like, you know, you have to have that, those conversations because then they're going to start regretting you. And I think, you know, that's, I mean, you guys have been together for a while, right? I mean, I think we've it's been, been together for 24 yeah, years. Yeah. How long yeah. have we been married? I, since 04. What's that math? I don't know. 18? 18. 18. So, I'm going to renegotiate the contract at 20. Yeah, and I'm about to post your job at Monster.com. <laughs> so. I mean, it's like he's always supportive. He's always the one that will, will believe in me before I'll believe in myself on things. So he's always kind of, you've got it. You're going to be fine. So, you can so do that's got to be a hard heart too, right? Because the thing is, is, you are off from work and you're like, I need to go show a house. <laughs> well, yeah. the real estate thing just started recently as a result of really the stressors in, in my industry. And there's been, you know, without getting into the woes of medicine and what's happened in the last three years, there's been a significant downturn in reimbursements and, and medicine is stressed. And whether it's designed to be this way or it's just happening – it's changing. So, and then with COVID and everything else, yeah. you know, I mean, so, that, that so she's changed. always made me a better physician, a better earner, a better provider. Like, that was always the game plan. Like when we started dating, she was going to be a school teacher. I knew that industry. I watched my mom. I was pretty much raised by a, a teacher. And every weekend off, every holiday off, every summer off, mm -hmm. great lifestyle, healthcare benefits, pension. I could cover the rest and it was going to work. Um, it wasn't her calling. It was my sort of, hey, try to be a teacher. I had some friends that were teachers. She had some friends that were teachers. She tried it. Didn't work. Debbie was a teacher. I hated it. She hated it. She did it for five years. It's hard work. <laughs> you know, the thing is- It's is, really hard work. It's really hard, but you also have a school system that doesn't allow you to teach anymore. And, you know, it's not like when we were kids. Yeah. And now the school system is- we're teaching for a test. Like when she was teaching, she would always have to be like, I'm not even teaching anymore. No. I'm just teaching so they can pass a test. She goes, I teach them ways to pass a test. Yeah. She goes, this, this isn't what I wanted to do. And, you know, and, and teachers make such a little amount of money that they're miserable. Yeah. And because, you know, of the pressure that's put on them, you know, and all the things that are going on, especially in the public schools. And she's like, I can't do this anymore. She's like, I'm tired of teaching to a test. It's not what I, 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 this is not what I thought being a teacher was about. Right. And it's tough. And I, anybody's a teacher. I was like, I always like, they should double their salaries. I you mean, at least. At least. Yeah. At you least. got to figure out what the objective is of the education. Like when I'm teaching my residents, I truly look them in the eye and I say, listen, I'm teaching you this because someday I may be looking up at you. I may be the guy in the bed. Yeah. And if you're not paying attention, you're not learning it, you're not going to be good for me or my family or anyone in this town. So- Pay attention. That's a good point. I never, it's, yeah, it's, didn't you, it's, it's, his favorite quote was 
see one, well, do one, pretty, teach one. It's pretty so that's much how he a, runs the residency when he does it. So I, it's pretty much a standard in medicine. It's just see one, do one, teach one. Someone's got to be first. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. You, but, but, you know, when you're ready, you're ready. But you, you have to you have to execute and do it. There's a lot of hands-off teaching, a lot of simulation. You can't replace the human touch by putting an IV in a rubber mannequin. Right. You got to put an IV in a real human being. You know what I mean? You, you got to eventually do there, it. It's it's a real it's a contact Again, sport. Like Medicine is a contact sport, <laughs> yeah. right? right. You, you have to touch right. somebody. Yeah, you have yeah. to do this. That's why, and, like I said, it's not like what you do is not for everybody. It's a tough job. It's it's and, and sticking people and doing all that kind of stuff. You know? It's, no, I get weak, like nauseous, and want to pass out. See, you sound like Debbie. Debbie's the same way. Like oh. I, when she gets, when she draws blood, she has to lay down, and I have to go in there and talk to her as they're taking the blood. Because she'll pass out if I don't. I mean, he truly loves, like, what, three years ago, he calls me from work. He's like, hey, I just signed up to teach a suture lab how to stu- stitch. You're right, stitches. And I'm like, okay, that's great. Awesome. Good for you. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to need you to find me 50 pig's feet. Wow. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> so he goes, you're going to need to call these butcher shop <laughs> and find pig's feet. And I said, I'm failing to understand this. And he goes, that's how you learn how to suture correctly. It's the closest thing to the human skin. It'll give them the correct feeling when they when I teach them. And I'm like, like you just randomly call up Publix and ask for pig's feet? So we did. <laughs> we found a butcher shop. Um, he taught. So, so and then I he taught to, a bunch of kids. Uh, we have a couple of friends that their kids <laughs> wanted to be physicians. So I used to teach a suture lab up in Rochester. Um, <laughs> and we used to do once a month. We would break out the pig's feet and we'd get supplies and scalpels and i would simulate you know wounds and then we would talk about you know we'd start simple and then we'd get into more advanced closure techniques um and i realized that a lot of my we have we have two residencies at uh, manatee we have a family medicine residency we have an internal medicine residency the family medicine guys they're going out they're going to be your your gp they're going to be your your docs a lot of the internal medicine Residents will go on to fellowships like cardiology or GI. They'll they'll go to advanced training. But some of these uh, family medicine docs were not getting adequate training, and they come to the ED. I'd ask them to sew something, and they're like, "Well, I've never sewn somebody before." I go, "You're graduating in a week. <laughs> you know, let's right. get you up to speed." You know, and they're like, "Well, you know, I sewed a mannequin or I sewed a piece of rubber sheet, and you know, I I tie knots on my my scrubs, and I know how to tie a knot." I'm like, "Well." throw you to the wolves it's time to learn right. you know, I'll, I'll be there so i said or right, we have a we have a gap here and i said would you guys be interested if i did a suture lab so i'm always available um it's hard getting people together yeah, obviously everyone was in masks and not touching and touch you know that right. put things on on hold but it's time to fire that back up again but um so know. how did speaking of that how did covid affect you guys Oh boy! I know. I was like, I know. I'm going to probably open a can of worms here, but like, it's just like you know. I mean, how financially, personally, academically? I mean, well, that's when the phone calls really started coming in. We couldn't. The code when people going, what's? Can I go out? And they immediately like freaking out and that kind of stuff. I mean, it was kind of everything. Like, how bad is it? How serious is it? It, it was weird because we didn't know. We, we didn't know what was going on. People were dying. And, right. and we thought, you know, we first started treating them as they were septic, right? So people were coming in with these bad infections. They had pneumonias. And, you know, we were just pounding this, again, an algorithm on how to treat overwhelming infection or 
body-wide infection we call sepsis, or when you get bacteria in your bloodstream and you, things start failing, you start losing your blood pressure, you, you just start getting super sick. And we would pound them with fluids and pound them with antibiotics and put them on ventilators just to realize months later they don't need as much fluid. Maybe we don't put them on the ventilator. Maybe we let them you know, drop their oxygen saturations a little bit and let a permissive, permissive hypo, uh, hypoxia or uh, hypoxia. So the treatment changed. We were scared initially. We were wearing everything. You know, Hazmat suits. Full body armor, you right. know, face shield, and intubating people under these plastic what boxes. What was that movie where everybody oh. were outbreak? Yeah. Were out but that was literally. Yeah. But we went to work. Right. That was the whole thing. So we showed up. We did the job. And, you know, people were getting sick around us. And people were, you know, you heard of a lot of first mm-hmm. responders dying. I fortunately didn't know any of my providers that that died, but I do have some coworkers that are suffering some sequelae of an infection, you know, the, the, the long COVID or, you know, some cardiac arrhythmias and some problems. So it's real. Um, As we sit here and listen to the rain. Yeah. We, yeah. Uh, you know, we went from seeing, you know, 300 patients a day to 70, 60 wow. patients a day. So everyone was afraid. Everybody was scared, right? And I'm a, you know, I'm an independent contractor. So I, I eat what I catch. So there was a financial component on top of a economic turndown, and things got real. And, uh, you know, we just buckled down, worked as hard as we could. We came together as a team. It's been a lot of attrition out of the field. We've lost a lot of nurses. Um, they just left and didn't come back. We're, we're at the mercy of staffing at this point. Because yeah, I've heard that. I've heard a lot of nurses have left and, won't, and, and, and don't want to come back, or they... And I, the other thing I heard was that a lot of people, like, um, people don't want to be vaccinated, and they were making them get vaccinated, and so they won't come back because they won't, they didn't want to get vaccinated. That's a personal choice. So, I mean, I just, I think that's being felt across know, a lot of industries. Yeah, it is. The airline industry is feeling it. It's really, really hitting them right now. But you know, yeah, I, you, I, I've, I felt quite ashamed of the, the, the care and the, the, that we've been able to provide because it's not the product that we all want to give. Right. And there are some forces that are working against us um, we do the best we can that's the message if I can get a message out to anybody that, that goes to a doctor or, or an emergency ER. room or a hospital that the people you're working with the people that actually showed up for work that day they're the good Take guys care. they're the guys that actually showed up today for work they're the guys that you know don't deserve the dig <laughs> yeah, they, they, they don't deserve right. the dig it's yeah. almost like you know All when right. somebody calls sick at a restaurant and you have you know a couple waiters that don't show up and your meal's a little late yeah at least you got a meal. You're right. You, know you got somebody there. Yeah. And, I, and I'm constantly apologizing and saying, I'm, I'm really sorry. We're doing the best we can. Don't take it out on my staff. Take it out on me. You know, but, I'll, you know, I'll people don't think like that, you know, and they that's don't. the thing. They, they, but because when they're in a crisis situation, yeah. and I I probably am guilty of that, when, when something goes horribly wrong, you just panic and you take it out on the first person you see and you just kind of, you want somebody to fix it and you want them to fix it now and you yeah. want them to realize that your situation is the most important situation in the ER no matter what's going on in room two. And they just, it, it's hard to get, and it's its hard for people that aren't married or in the industry or, you know, have a first-hand response to this, you know, what it's been like and, you know, the whole thing. It, it so how does, really- as, as I'm assuming COVID now has changed a lot since it first came out to where you're at now. Are you still requiring people to be vaccinated? Or are you still like, you know, our, or? Our vaccination policy was, was voluntary. Okay. Um, 
I did uh, because when it was offered, I think I was one of the first. We had a a round of vaccinations, right? I think it was Christmas Eve of December twenty seventh. Uh, whatever. I think it was right right around Christmas time. I think there was. Um, a small supply and again people were dying frontline workers got it first people were dying and we didn't know you know and again you know you go back and retrospect's always 2020 (laughs) and again you make the best choice you can at the time you had it and I think we 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 did that personally there were some people I know that didn't choose to get vaccinated they're fine they rolled the dice they're fine right Um, I guess maybe the truth might come out Probably like the JFK. <laughs> really, so you wait 50 years and everything right, will be right. redacted. So um, who knows? You do the best you can. You get to find out who your friends are. You, you know, we, we built alliances. You know, we have a network. I think in times of crisis, you know, that's when your community steps up. And, you, you know, one day I woke up and signed a sign. Oh, yeah. There was a so sign. My neighbor made a sign that was like, thank you for being a healthcare hero. Oh. So it was like, and then a lot of, I mean, we're, we're lucky to know a lot of different people and people would call me and be like, hey, can I bring food to the hospital for everybody working? And I'd yeah. be like, yeah, let me give you Tracy's number, yeah. arrange it with Tracy and he'll, he'll figure it out. And I mean, there were a lot of people that I think they realized what these guys and girls were all doing and that, you know, they were fighting, you know, you, you serve, so you get what it's like to fight an enemy. They were fighting an enemy. Right. But not knowing how to do it so I had in the to, beginning. And it we, was, they were expected to show up every day, possibly contract something that was deadly-ish, you know. And yeah, then you had not no know idea what you're doing. We're talking going way back to when it was all Yeah, brand new. I remember like Nobody December, knew January. Anything. We had a friend step forward. He had a, he's a contractor around town, and he, he showed up with a couple boxes of N95 masks. Now, you couldn't find masks. Right. But I looked at him, and he's got, he's got a family. And I said to him, I said, you sure you might? need these for yourself and he goes please take them and i said that's very generous now it's you know it was a five dollar box of masks before the crisis now <laughs> right. they're like gold right, right people exactly. were trading, you know trading stuff for they're five dollars a piece now <laughs> i had somebody i had somebody bring a, a a bedside ventilator like a like a bipap machine or cpap basically yeah. a, a pressure mass of some type of it, it was a generous gift for them they said please take this Respirator. In case someone needs it. I, I didn't know how to tell them it's not what I need or nothing that right. could help me. I said, I said, you sure? You sure? Why don't you hold it? I said, if I need it, I'll call you. But she's like, please take it. And people sew in masks. You know, that, oh, kind, yeah. of, that kind of stuff. That I com- mean, it was... Well, it's, you know, it's, it's amazing sometimes how our people will step up and try to help and come out and really support everyone you know and that's the thing it's like when we do become in a crisis like after 9-11 you know it was you know people do come together it was therapeutic i think and and it was and 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 i think it was their way to give back and their way to help and their way to be part of something and like you know that's the one great thing I think about our country is that, you know, when I look at crisis, when crisis does happen, like 9-11 or COVID or something like that, we are very different than most countries is because we do come together. We will work together. The problem is, is after that, we forget all about it and right. then we fall apart again. Well, so, you know, <laughs> you know I, I, I say something to everybody. I sort of wrap up every conversation with someone since probably in the last like two, three years. And I just I, I instead of saying thank you, I say I appreciate you or, that kind of thing. It's just somebody knows if if you know that your efforts are appreciated, that's the best payment. I mean, my 
patient base, most of them can't afford the care I provide them. And, and I don't see anybody based on their ability to pay. That is somebody else's job. Right. You get a bed, whether you whether can afford it, cash. you can't yeah, right. afford it. If you can't speak my language, I'll get you an interpreter. If you, you know, part of my job is to provide a screening medical examination and a safe disposition. The second part of that's often the hard part. If somebody doesn't have a safe situation, you gotta ask that extra question. You gotta do the right thing. You gotta make sure people are safe and you just take care of people, you know, and I don't know. We, <laughs> we try to do the right thing for everybody. You know, it's easier said than done to actually execute it and do it. You gotta pull a little, you gotta pull a little extra. And I, I'm not as good as I could be. I could be a better, we could all be a little better every day, right? If you really think about it. But with your type of job, it's that split second though. I mean, you don't have much time. I mean, you know, so it's like, you know, depending on the situation. Now let me tell good. you about him, because this is funny. In a crisis situation at work, he can make a split second decision. Take him to like an ice cream shop <laughs> with six flavors and you, an hour has gone by and he's like, <laughs> I don't know what to get. I just, I can't make a decision. I, I liken it to the fact that he's so on when he's at work, that he's so used to operating at such a high speed that when he's off, he doesn't want to have to think about a darn thing. He's like, just I'm sure, I'm pick sure for he me. needs that break, you know? I mean, just, I'm sure, right? I mean, when he comes home from work, I really do think that that. It's like off. an adrenaline high. Yeah. yeah. And he takes about an hour to come down. And he can't go to sleep right away. He's got to just chill out and move on. Do you have certain times? Like, do you just, like, did they change your schedule? Are you always, like, I, 9 I to 5? Punched or? out at 3.30 this morning. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so what time did you go in? 2 p.m. 2 p.m. The day before. Oh, wow. So it's a typical 13 and a half hour day. Wow. You know, 40-minute commute each way. So you're looking at 14, 15-hour days. The good news is I made it home yesterday without a single red light. <laughs> that was one of the high points of my day. Okay? No red lights. So that means you got home a little bit faster. That is yeah. true. That is true. Um, no, it's a simple victories. Do you do like three days on, three days off? or? Um, there's really no rhyme or reason. There's nobody working to... right now. We're, yeah. da we're down to a skeleton crew. So, you know, like I said, I, I – why do you think that is? Do you think because people just don't want to be in the medical field anymore? Not enough doctors. I mean, I know that like the airlines are scraping for pilots. Why, why so. don't they have? Yeah. Why don't Why don't people show up to work? Okay. I, I don't know. It's It's not but real. Do you, do you, they don't need the money. They, but they, the, I don't. They don't want to work. As far as like doctors and nurses, I mean, you went to school for that. So right. like that's like that's a long time. That's a long time. So I've always said I've always said everybody work. wants a job, but nobody wants to work. <laughs> they They like the concept of yeah. of a job, but actually. Client. Yeah. And I was thinking, you know, my, my first job, I think it was 14, 15, $2.50 an hour working on a golf course under the table. And I knew that wasn't going to be my ultimate job, but you know what? It gave me, it, it gave me free golf. I started you know? my first job. I was 11 years old and I put it in my book. I was scrubbing floors at a beta um, video store. Remember beta? No. So beta was before VHS. Oh, the beta tapes. The, the beta little, tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't so, remember them. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they were the little ones. Yeah. So they came out before VHS, and so it was a video store, but it was beta. It's better technology. Actually. And so it was before that, and <clears throat> I wanted a fish tank. My parents said no. It's like we're not buying you a fish tank. You're not getting a fish tank. You you want it? You go make money Figure for it, it. I was 11 years old, and so <clears throat> I was like, all right. All my friends are out playing. They get whatever they want. 
we, we were poor. We didn't have any money. We lived in a city, Baltimore City, in not a good neighborhood. And so there was a shopping center up the street. I went and knocked, and I just started asking people, anything I could do? I was 11 years old. And the guy was like, if you want to clean my floors, I'll pay you. So I got on my hands and knees and scrubbed floors at age 11 and, and made money so I can buy my fish tank. Yeah. And so, like, you know, I've always come to the point, and, and part of my background is always, I mean, I and I worked from 11 years old until now. I never not had a job. <clears throat> I was bussing tables at age 12. And so, like, I mean, my mom was a um, bookkeeper for a restaurant, so I was in there bussing tables. And so we always, I've always had that work ethic and always had that and it just like it's, it's crazy now what i see it's crazy on how much people don't want to work or don't want to go after what they want or they just they want the system to take care of them so the let me in. let me hit on that let me hit on your your uh, restaurant experience cuz part of my duties working on the golf course was of course once i proved myself honest and worthy of you know employment they said hey we'd like for you to work in the banquet facility so I started off as a busboy, dishwasher, you know the role. Mm -hmm. Stepped up to like assisting the waitresses. <laughs> then I became a bar back and started stocking the bar. And then it was setting up for banquets. And, you know, as I progressed, they gave me a little bit more. But I, I tell people at work today, when I'm working a busy ER, maybe 70, 80 people in the department, different stages of care, you got to have situational awareness. And everyone's like, how'd you learn to do this job? I said, I was a busboy. I was a waiter. I was a, I was a bartender. I was, I, you got to know your audience. You got you to gotta look at the cues. You got to look at the, not just what they're telling you. You got to look at the nonverbals. Mm -hmm. Who needs care? Who needs help? Who goes first? Right. Yeah. You know, where, which fire do you put out? Right. That's got to be tough, right? Yeah. Who do you decide? To, so he's going to get my attention first. Yeah. Right. You got a guy who's... You got half a drink. You got a guy with no drink. You know, <laughs> who, who would you serve first? Mm -hmm. um, and and that tr translates to any industry, and it's a good work ethic. I would recommend anyone who wants to go into, you know, healthcare, work in a restaurant, get a service industry job. Let somebody let somebody yell at you a little bit. Mm -hmm. Understand service. Oh, I got you know. I mean, I, that's I was so I was a busboy when I was twelve, all the way up through, and just like you, <clears throat> I worked my way up. I was I was doing bussing tables, and I'd do dishes, and then I became a prep cook, and I was doing stuff and making stuff in the back of the kitchen, you know. And by the time I was sixteen, so it was like you know, and but the busboy for me was the most money. I worked at a crab house. Yeah. And we and people spent a lot of money on crabs. Yeah. So they left big tips. <laughs> so they would get us part of that. See our, my, my waitresses they, they didn't split tips with me. Uh -huh. I just did it. I, I was a kid, I was I was know. so happy if I got twenty bucks. I was like, Oh my God, yes I got twenty bucks. I'm rich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's I, a lot of money back then. Oh I know. I know. And so you know and then that was the thing. But like I've always been a worker. Like and then yeah. like all my friends really they'd be like, What why are you working so much? I was like because if I want something, I have yeah. to. Work that teaches for it. you a lot more than just the value of a dollar. It, and I'm trying to explain to our daughter, you know, even if you're not going to work a lot at a young age, you're going to get a job because it teaches you the responsibility of managing your life, planning out, being responsible for your time, being where you need to be. It's not that we can't afford to buy you something. It's 
the ability to be responsible because that's going to transfer to everything you're going to do is your ability to show up when you're supposed to show up, not because the night before you got a better offer to go hang out with your friends. You're committed to a work schedule. You have a group of people that are depending on you being there. You will show up. Yeah, I instilled that in both of my so boys. It's, so it's the lesson of self-reliance. That's free. To me, it's self-reliance. You, you know, when times are great, Everyone wants to be your friend. Again, oh, yeah. Let's, exactly. let's, go back, easy. let's go back to 2019. Everyone everyone was doing great. Or we can go back to 2007 when everybody was doing great, mm -hmm. right? And then things change, and you realize who's your core? Who can you depend on? It might be a handful of people. It might be nobody. What if it's nobody, and, you're, you, and you don't have the skill set to take care of yourself? Well, guess what? Now you're dependent on the government. And guess what you're going to get? You're going to get what you get, and you don't get upset. Right. Well, you do get upset. You but do nobody get upset. cares. Right? Nobody cares. So my <laughs> lesson is my lesson is really that of self reliance, preparing for a rainy day. You know, just if you can't afford it, don't you don't you don't need it. You know, wait wait until you Work can afford it. Work hard now for the reward well, later. Well, I'll tell you, we have a couple rules, a couple basic rules, and 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 rule number one is act like you belong. That's it. Whatever situation you're in, <laughs> adapt and just be the best you can in that role. And I, a couple others I, I was thinking about is just sort of just. Be honest. Be honest with yourself. Like, don't accept the praise for something you didn't do. But also, on the other hand of that is, of that is don't take any. Um, if somebody's going, don't don't accept the praise, but also don't um, take any uh, criticism for something you didn't do. So, if you're guilty of something, admit it. If you're not guilty of something, stand up for yourself. And then just work as hard as you can. I think that's the biggest thing. And one of the things I try to do on the show is I try to get people to understand, like, look, it's not easy. It's never easy. Like, I'm sure your school, going through school, was not easy. Going through residency was not easy. I mean, I Doing came all to meet stuff. him. He had just finished residency. He had just passed part one of his boards. He has a two-part board. So part one is a written and part two is an oral. I had no idea. I mean, there's a 10-year age gap between us. So, Yeah. I don't know about that, Chris. I didn't know about that. Um, I know my youthful looks. You only so, um, anchoring off. So of I, I didn't know anybody personally that had achieved or gotten. Oh, he to looks the, younger than he is in his fifties. All right, we're not I focusing look on that. Than her. <laughs> we, I didn't know anybody that had gotten to the point in education that he had gotten to yet. Yeah. So I, I had, didn't have any firsthand experience, and to see somebody go through what it went through to pass part two of that board and how absolutely committed he was. I mean, he eat, breathe sleep on his off time nothing but board prep and even now when he has to research or he has to do anything like that he is devoted to it i mean he and our daughter we have a very competitive nature the two of us my <laughs> husband and i so she has definitely taken that from both of us whereas if my husband has done something by a certain age she wants to beat him by a year and she is and she is she is on track to so as much as she wants to blow up my stock <laughs> I, I I can take a test, okay? Um, and but you prepare heavily. I mean, every waking minute. But we there's have. a lot of there's a lot of smart kids. And and getting yeah. back to if we can focus on you know becoming a physician, I'm a little disheartened with some of the 
pathways that I'm seeing. I've got a wonderful opportunity to meet these young kids coming out of college. I, we, we hire these scribes. So they write our notes. They come in with us. They're usually like pre-med students or maybe they want to be PAs or even nursing students that want to go on to advance their education. So they, they come in and they come under our wing. They're almost like our kids for right. a year or two while we got them. We try to show them the ropes. We try to teach them, you know, what little they can pick up at their level of training. And I hear their stories. These are, these are smart kids. I mean, I, I had one kid who's probably the best candidate I've seen or heard of, and I'm talking 20-something years. He's University of Florida grad with a 4.0. He had the 99th percentile on his MCATs. He got into one medical school. Wow. He threw out dozens and dozens of applications. He had a handful of interviews. He got into one school. Why is that? Well, I have my theories. <laughs> I, I, I don't think it's a, a meritocracy as much as it used to be. I, I, I think there are other factors on the application that dilute the academics and the, the, the performance and the ability to do the job academically. I think they're, I think they're looking at other things. Um, on the application process, I think there is a an agenda to fill medical colleges with, with a group of a group of diverse individuals, um, and that's a debate not to be had today. I, I just again, I'm a guy who does a job. I, I'm fortunate for my opportunities, but you got to look at at these poor kids that are really putting all their eggs in one basket. Because you can't, you can't just say, hey, I think I'm going to go to med school. And if I don't get into med school, what are you going to do? you got a biology degree. Well, that you, was you're going to work in a lab? Debbie, Debbie went to she – she has a micro um, minor. Her mic, was she a biology degree and a, mic, and a um, minor in microbiology. And so <clears throat> she was going – she wanted to maybe head into the doctor field, some kind of medical, you know, medical yeah. field. And then that's how she became a teacher. She decided she was going to use it to be a teacher. Right. And um, so she got her master's in education and then um, and became a biology teacher, high school biology teacher. But then that was like totally like not what she thought it was. You know, but that's the biggest thing is I see these guys that like go through school and it's tough because it's like, all right, well, like you said, it's like what happens if you don't become a doctor? What are you going to do with it? Because there's not a lot of careers out there well, that's they're, in biology. They're taking a gap year. They call it a gap year. Yeah. It's a year off. It's a year to sort of – Buff well, your CV a little bit. Take a couple master's classes. Maybe be a scribe. Well, is that new? Is this gap year new? Because like, so my son, my older son, his his um, girlfriend wanted, wanted to be a doctor. Yeah. So she went through school, and then she had that year to try to find get into medical school. And I don't know. She's still what looking to get into medical school. And so like it's hard for her to even get in, like because that was the thing. So like and then she got. Her, but there was like this one year waiting period or something. The average I just found out the age of, of freshman medical uh, medical student uh, matriculation is I think it's about 24, maybe maybe a little older than 24. The average freshman in medical college. Now, it used to be 22. Why is it so much different? What year? How old were you? Oh, I I went straight through. I was I think I turned 22 and like 
two weeks after my birthday, started med school. I graduated med school at 25. That was, I thought that was weird. I was like, okay, so she graduated from college and then she wanted to go into medical school, but they were like, no, you had that. There's this year waiting period or something. There, and, uh, there is a there is a certain maturity that that comes with with age. And the, and, and again, talking about busting tables, you know, you you you, you scrape a little bit when you don't Maybe get in right hungrier. away. It makes you hungry. It really, right. you know. Maybe it, it weeds out the ones that don't really want to be it there. It gives you the drive. I mean, these, these kids are going offshore. They're going to the Caribbean for school. They're hustling. They're getting residence or uh, rotations around the country. I mean, by the time they graduate, they've crawled. We it's, have a friend's kid that, I mean, she shadowed Tracy for her whole high school career almost. Like three years. I mean, yeah. she wanted to be a hand surgeon. And you know, she shadowed Tracy. Like, they had such a cute little bond as she really looked up to him and he really you know tried his best to navigate for her and things didn't go as she saw in her mind perfect and she called him one day devastated and she's like I'm gonna have to apply to foreign medical schools and he's like who cares he goes what's the initials gonna be at the end of your name (laughs) right he goes go where you need to go get it done he goes just stay on course because I think I reached out to you because Bryce's girlfriend she's going to where is she going right now so that's where she's going right now. Where she, is she going? Where is it? Florida Gulf Coast. Oh. Florida Gulf yeah. Coast. So she's going to Florida Gulf Coast, and then she wants to become a, a doctor as well. Yeah. And so I'll I take think, care of her. Bring so, her by. So, I'll, I'll put her, I'll put her right there in the line of fire. We'll we'll get her we'll get her some experience. So, um, but that's where she, she should go be a scribe. That's going to set her apart. I tell you what, I, I, she may change her mind. <laughs> She's good. Oh, then she's good. Everyone, everyone's, you know, I think you learn more from your failures than your successes in life. (laughs) I don't know if that can change gears a little bit. You know, like, like I said, I, you know, a couple things happened, came down here and I was shocked. I I believe you need to fail in order to succeed. I mean, I've had so many failures and things that I've tried and I'm like, nope, that didn't work. I need to change it. And mortgage industry, whatever it is. Like what people don't realize is you need those failures because like it it, it almost makes you stronger, right? It makes, yeah. I mean, I've hit rock bottom. I mean, when I moved here, so I, real quick, just to kind of give you a little bit more story about myself, I moved here from Baltimore, and it took every penny I had to move here. I had no money, so when I got here, I was like, all right, what am I going to do? I mean, we were broke. I mean, broke, broke, and so like I knew how I was going to pay my rent. I didn't know how I was going to do anything. Because I had actually, I had a job with a big bank, and when I came down here, I did it for three months and realized I hated it. I was like, I can't do this. So I went and I took a job selling gym memberships, selling personal training, making no money. And I was like, okay, well, I want to get back in the mortgage business. But I didn't know anybody. I didn't know one realtor. I didn't know, I mean, we came down here not knowing one soul. So I was like, all right, I'll get back. Let me get into the mortgage business. Those two years that I tried to build my business, like I, I learned different things, I, f- I had failures, I did, you know, I, I closed one deal a month, you know, pay your bills. So, like, I mean, it was tough. It was very, I mean, we struggled, like, and I hit rock bottom. And I was like, all right, I think it was 2018. I said to myself, all right, we're going to change the way we do business. Either this is going to work or I'm going back into banking business and getting yeah. a full time job because it, I don't have a choice. I was like, I'm not, I can't keep going down this road. And that's when I changed everything. But the failures is one of those things what people don't realize is you got to figure out what the failures are to get, be successful sometimes. You got to go down that, whether it's the right move or not, it's one of those things you just got to get there. 
and you'll figure it out. You got to keep trying. You know, the biggest thing is getting back up after that failure. Most people, when they get down and they fall down and they realize, okay, well, this isn't working, they just give up. And, you know, and it's like, you know, okay, well, all right, people in medical school, all right, well, I applied to 10 schools and nobody wants me and they give up. You know, and, and that's really what this show is about. And that's why yeah. it's called Real Hustle. Yeah, it's really a game of attrition. And, and this was explained to me early on when I was playing sports. I said, keep trying out. If you, if you try out, you'll, you'll eventually make the team, right? You know? <laughs> well, look at Michael Jordan. I well, mean, he got yeah. cut from you know, basketball. You just keep, if, if you show up and you bring your A game again, if you're honest, you work hard, and you act like you, you deserve to be on the team or act, act like you belong with some very simple rules, you'll, someone eventually will give you the shot. Exactly. And then you get an opportunity, and as long as you can execute, you're in. Take that opportunity and run with yep. it. build on it. And build so on it. the other part is you got to appreciate the people that you, know, you work with. And everyone likes to kiss ass uphill. I tend to kiss it downhill. I appreciate the people around me. And again, getting back to my first job, I used to have to turn tables over. Now, up north, they used to do a fish fries on Friday. It was just a big thing. So that was the big night that people would come out. They'd, you know, Friday night, we'd move, you know, a few hundred people through the dining area, the, the, the restaurant. And the chef one time came up to me and he says, listen, you're the most important guy in the whole place. He goes, I can cook the food. But if, if we don't have a place to sit, nobody can eat. He goes, I'm no good. He goes, you're the most important guy. You gotta turn these tables over as fast as possible. And you sort of empower the guys working. And, oh, yeah. and did I yeah. did I not hear him tell that story to the dishwasher too? <laughs> you're the most important guy. Right. If we don't have clean dishes, we can't serve food, you know? It's the same thing. You 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 empower the people you're working with as part of the organization. You make sure everybody knows they have value. I think it's the biggest thing is like so if if you want to lead to success you got to you can't forget about the people that you work with or that are behind or went before you, you or, because the thing yeah. is like so my team right is like I cherish my team like so for my mortgage industry my team is my highest priority they're the people that get it done they're the people that are behind the scenes that you never see or don't really ever talk to but they're the ones that are doing all the paperwork getting everything together so I will give them more of the benefit of the doubt and treat them better than I would treat my boss <laughs> because yeah. that's they're more they're more important than what my boss is you know and so like that's the thing is like you got to treat your employees the people that are you know that you're working with because if you they don't if you can't if you can't have a good conversation you can't understand them or if you can't work well together so if you're treating somebody because you're on some ego trip and you think that you just are it they're not going to work with you and right. then you're going to suffer and like i know with my business i'm only as good as the people behind me i'm only as good as my team and so like if i don't get my stuff done you know if we're if we're going to be good at what we do it's, it's a team effort it's not just me it ain't chris on this mighty pedestal okay yeah he's a he's a good loan officer but I'm not the one behind there collecting all the documents. I'm not the one that's doing all that stuff. It's like, you know, and you know, and I think a lot of times people, when they do start having success, they forget that. And, you know, they forget where they, I mean, I don't forget where I come from. I've, I remember I grew up in, the, in, the, in not a great neighborhood. I remember that I've been broke. I remember everything that I've gone through. So, you know, and I think people need that reality check sometimes you know don't forget because there's no reason for it yeah i look at some of these guys we, we have you know we used to call them housekeepers it's environmental services now you know that's the, the, the correct term i don't know how they do it i mean they're getting pulled from room to room cleaning up the nastiest messes you can imagine 
that's not only dirty, it's a risk to their health for like 12 bucks an hour, 15 bucks an hour. Right. And they show up every day and I love them. And I tell them every day, I appreciate you. Thank you. They, they just, they, I don't know how they do it, right. but they do. And there's a great people that are just behind the scenes and nobody, you know. Well, most people take them for granted too. Like they just, you know, they won't, they won't go out of their way to talk to them or they won't go, you know, yeah. and, you know, just like, oh, well, it's just. Oh, well, they, they don't realize without them that bed, right. that room's not clean. They're not getting seen faster. It's like, right. it's a whole trickle down effect of I love my their guys. quality I, of I, care. I, just, I, I, they make me, if I can get a, if I can get a room, I can get a patient. If I can get a patient, right. I can get another patient. You know, it's that kind of situation. It's like, bring them back. I mean, last night we had a ton of people in the waiting room. We just had to hustle. It just, we do the best we can. And I'm just like, come on. I see, you know, we're, we're changing beds. We're cleaning rooms. And you do that a little bit and you appreciate the people that does that for you. And you, you know, you go buy them a Coke, buy them a candy bar. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be a lot. Pat on the back. Thank you. She cooks all the time. You've, you've been the beneficiary some, of her uh, cooking, I right? I, I come home and there's 20 dozen cookies or – and I'm, I don't exaggerate with, with her production. Oh, I know. I've and I'm like, what's going food. on? She goes, you know, I could just tell things are tough at work. Yeah. Just bring them in. Give them away. Just make sure everybody gets some. Well, guys, I appreciate you coming I appreciate on. you. Because this, this was, was awesome. fun. This was fun. Thank you, think? you again. Like it? Thank you. Appreciate you, man. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I appreciate, appreciate you, you for all you, you do. You survived. See, you survived. Yeah, you know, yeah. you hit some you hit some tender topics. Well, that's what we're here for. It's like, yeah. But like I, like I tell everybody, it's like, you know, this is one of the things that I love about doing podcasts and we'll, we'll roll it up with this, is I get to talk to you in an in-depth way that normally you never hear about. And that's what the podcast is about. It's about learning about people who hustle and brought something in and really built something for themselves. But it also gives people more in depth about you and who you are. It's like, you know, we could have a beer, but would we ever talk about this? And I say this all the time in all my podcasts, but we would never have these conversations. No. You don't have five minutes. <laughs> so, you know. We'd have to chug that beer. Yeah, so, <laughs> I mean, so, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, so, you know, you just don't have that. And that's the, that's the nice thing. And that's really where I think podcast, at least for what I do in my podcast, has evolved. And that's the reason I love doing these is because I get to know you such in a different level yeah, yeah. that – most people don't get to know you like that and you know and the audience now gets to know you like that and they're like oh they are a real person or wow you know you know and oh he's you know he's doing this and somebody who's big in the community and helping out and you know that's interesting you know and and tell their story and you know otherwise you just don't ever get to tell it you know yeah it's a cool thing i'm I'm hoping that the stressors that our community is going through our, our country's going through right now that you know like like i said i think we learn a lot from our mistakes i think we learn a lot from our adversities we sort of have always as a people dug down deep and made it better I'm hoping we can repeat that. I pray I'm that, that this too. country yes. has a future. I really do. I think it's and, well. I think it's very important for our children. I mean, it's huge, you know, and our grandchildren. Yeah. And we need to figure it out, yeah. and we will. Yeah. For sure. So. Thank you, Chris. Well, I, appreciate I appreciate your audience for tuning in. Thank you, guys, very much. God bless America. <laughs> Thank you, sir. All Thank right. you. Thank you.